Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Progression Podcast. Today, I'm speaking to Anne-Laure LeCumpf. She's a maker, a neuroscientist, an entrepreneur, and a prolific writer. As I record this, she's up to over 6,000 on her personal mailing list, which she's really just built in the last year. And she writes every week uh, an extraordinary newsletter. Super interesting. I've known Anne-Laure for a little while uh, as a fellow scout and friend, and it's fantastic to have not just people who are building design teams and and tech teams, but also people who are building companies on the podcast. So hopefully you'll enjoy something a little bit different. I'm just going to get straight into this episode because we do a good intro in the first couple of minutes. Okay, (laughs) Uh, welcome to another episode of the Progression Podcast. I'm here with Anne-Laure. That was perfect. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, Anne-Laure, say <laughs> hi, introduce yourself. Um, <laughs> we've just been having a long discussion about how to say your name. So yeah, I'm glad we got through the first... Hard to pronounce. Yeah, yeah thanks absolutely. for... <laughs> but but I want to get into straight into um, your background and why you're here on this podcast. And uh, your, I suppose I can introduce you a little bit. You You run Nest Labs which is kind of an incubator-ish for a bunch of ideas and like the the website encloses all of your thoughts and everything that's going on. You're one of the most prolific people that I think I've seen in my vicinity of the internet. Um, you're constantly writing, you're writing every day, you're um, creating, you somehow are studying, um, you're coding. Uh, you've been uh, a Googler, um, you're a neuroscientist, <laughs> more of a neuroscience student <laughs> more, that yeah. is that, that's um, frankly that is enough for me um a polymath i think it's probably fair to say uh but you're also kind of exploring what you do every day and and you kind of have an open attitude to your career i suppose it's fair to say and safe to say so like in your own words describe I've done a terrible job. Do it. <laughs> no, you did. You did a great job, and uh, thanks for having me. I think uh, there's a lot uh, in common with what I'm trying to do and what you're trying to do at Progression about learning and growing, doing that continuously. So that's yeah, I love what you're doing. So thanks for having me first. And uh, yeah, in terms of what I'm doing, I am indeed doing a lot, <laughs> which I love. Uh, yeah, I used to work at Google in the digital health team, so I've always been interested in, in health in general and mental wellness and all of these kind of things which is why I decided to go and on studying neuroscience, which I'm doing part-time at the moment at King's. And I'm trying to apply a lot of the stuff that I'm studying there to my daily work. And I'm an entrepreneur, uh, maker. I've started learning how to code earlier this year. And uh, it's quite interesting how when you start really paying attention and trying to understand how your brain works, how you can apply that information to so many areas of your life. And it can be to product building or writing or even sales and marketing. So uh, yeah, that's what I've been doing recently, writing about it, helping other makers and entrepreneurs with their productivity and their creativity. And uh, hopefully in a little while when I feel ready, maybe build a product around that too. Great. I mean, there's so much to dig into, but I want to start with, uh, I suppose, back to the fact that you are you're an excellent writer and you you put your work out on the internet and you're quite open about what you do. So I suppose I'm wondering, how do you um, not only write every day and put something out there, but I saw you mentioned uh, today around 
sending someone enough emails so that you get a sale and uh, uh, being, I suppose, confident enough to go out there and get what you want and put your opinions out on the internet. How, how do you think about, uh, I suppose, that scary moment of uh, pub- hitting publish? Yeah. And for those people that are maybe not entrepreneurs and not um, don't have quite the same uh, path as you, maybe working in a, in a team or uh, thinking about how to be more visible within their job, um, any tips for helping people to like be, be braver? Yeah, it's a very interesting question because as a non-native English speaker, I've been very self-conscious for a very long time about writing or, you know, even being on podcasts or these kind of things because it's like, oh, you know, I may make mistakes or, you know, my accent or whatever. And um, what has really worked for me and has worked for quite a few people that I know is I know it sounds very cheesy and that's why, you know, Nike makes all of their marketing <laughs> about that. But it's really about doing it. And um, what's really interesting too is that instead of seeing writing and putting yourself out there as a separate thing that you do, like, you know, you do your work and you do this and that, and also you write and you publish. I try to make that really a part of everything else that I'm doing. And it's helping with lots of things. So uh, if I want to learn something new or study a new topic, um, you know, lots of my blog posts, they start with myself asking, you know, I'm just asking myself a question. Like, what about this? Or this is, I don't know how this works. And I use the blog posts as a way, an excuse almost to research the topic. You know, both, it helps me both to do the research, but also to consolidate what I'm learning. It's one of the best ways to make sure that you build long-term memories is to actually rephrase it in your own words and teaching other people too. So. This is, I think, what helps a lot rather than seeing this as this huge daunting thing, like scary thing where you're going to be judged or whatever. Seeing it as part of the process of learning and growing really helps. And, you know, just like seeing yourself as a student almost like the same way you would write an essay at school or whatever. You can do that and apply it for every area of your life. It's interesting because... I think I I always think of, have always thought of, and maybe I'm starting to, maybe you're part of the reason why I'm trying to think about it slightly differently. But thinking about writing the blog post or the case study or the talking about the work that you've done, seeing it as not just uh, showing off about the work that you've done and, or, or um, recording it to, to brag or to, to put it on the internet for some other reason, actually is part of going back and strengthening those synapses and uh, embedding it in your memory so that you can do it again. And and also, quite often I will look back on something I wrote two, three years ago and be like, oh, yeah, that's how I did that that time, and maybe it would work again. Exactly. And uh, the other thing, too, is that it really isn't about bragging when it's something you're still in the process of learning, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and that's the problem, I think. I, I was having a conversation with uh, an entrepreneur earlier today, and he was asking me, you know, am I legitimate enough to blog? And I was like, yes, you are. I mean, if, if the simple fact that you want to do it and want to learn more about the topic makes you legitimate, basically. Mm-hmm. And lots of people, unfortunately, wait until they feel like they're experts in their domain to start writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and in my opinion, that's almost too late because you're not going to get as much of the benefits as you will if you start blogging when you're studying. And so this is also why... I always tell 
my friends who are learning, whatever topic could be coding, could be anything, to start creating stuff around what they're learning and putting it out there and, you know, getting feedback and improving and also having this public commitment helps you on keeping on doing it. This is why I'm a huge fan of like, you know, there's uh, 100 days of code and yeah. 100 days Making of a like, promise to someone, yourself or the exactly, internet. Or putting exactly. yourself in a position where if you don't do it, then it's going to be a little bit embarrassing. Exactly. <laughs> and this is, you know, weekly newsletters. That's why they're, yeah. they're great too. Yeah, there are people who gave you their email address because you made that promise of sending them something interesting every week. And, you know, with my blog, for example, that puts a huge fire under my ass every week because I'm like, shit, Thursday's coming up. Yeah. And, you know, I'm still missing one article or whatever. So, you know, that public commitment is quite important. Yeah. So the newsletter is a reasonably new thing for you, right? But it seems to have... Um kind of exploded a little bit. Yeah. I'm um I'm also managing like a magazine on the site called Maker Mag, so I've been doing a weekly newsletter for about 8 or 9 months now and I've never okay. missed uh any of them, but uh as much as I love Maker Mag, I felt sometimes that some of the topics I wanted to talk to were a bit too personal for this, and so this is why about a month ago I created my own newsletter. Uh, but so now I have a newsletter to send on Tuesday and one on Thursday. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. For, for the MakerMat one, we're a whole team. So that's okay. much easier than for the personal one. But in both cases, uh, the newsletters have helped me a lot in terms of being consistent with putting content out. Mm. Because I didn't want to, you know, be like, oh, come Tuesday or come Thursday, I actually have nothing to share. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And And if you have like a certain editorial standard for your newsletter, then you'll and you're the only person writing stuff for it, then you have to force yourself to... Well, you, you know this, because I, I showed it to you, but um, I sent my first email newsletter for a year <laughs> this yeah, week. Yeah, I read it. It was great. And um, you know what? It was, it was a pain. Not so much... I mean, MailChimp's annoying, but it was more like mentally difficult to put it together, get find the links, like press. You know, the MailChimp has that sweaty finger button... And yes. <laughs> you know, I was really feeling the pain of that. But then you, you know, I got a dozen replies and each one was great. Like whether it was a couple of words, just supportive, um, this was interesting, or people really offering help and to hook me up with people. And I know that you've had a similar reaction to your, your yeah, newsletter. Yeah, email is amazing for, for this. Like, I mean, you know, the fact that you got like a dozen people coming back to you. And very, I don't know if it's the case for you too, but... In my case, when they, they come back to me, when I send an email out, it's much more personal and intimate. And, and also because it's not Twitter, some people write actually really long answers, with, yeah. you know, links and thoughts, etc. And I feel like you can build a connection with email that's much deeper than yeah. you could on any other form of social media. So do you think that someone, I mean, this is actually related to another question I wanted to ask you, which is why would you leave Google? Like what was the, what was the impetus? What was that moment? Yeah. Uh, that made you leave. But but I suppose while we're still on this part of the conversation, if you like, to, to extend what you said before, is there value in someone who is, I suppose, working for a big company and as part of a team also putting out a newsletter? Or is it really just for people that kind of want to build things and be entrepreneurs? And 
I know the answer you're going to give me and I want yeah. you to give me it, but... Uh, that's what I was going to say. It's a very loaded question. It is. But yeah, but uh, yeah, you know my answer. I, there's, I, there, I have only one regret with my newsletter is to uh, not having started it earlier. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I definitely think that whatever your current job situation or your goals, et cetera, the, the process of, you know, learning, consolidating your thoughts into articles then committing in public to actually share that with people, building your audience yeah. is super important. Uh, and also, it doesn't really matter, I think, if you're planning on staying at that big company or if you're thinking in the future of starting your own thing. Yeah, Having your own audience is one of the most valuable things that you have. You can, you know, I started a um, company when I left Google, which failed and... I will probably start many other companies that are going to fail. But this one thing I'm taking with me and keeping is my audience, basically. And because they follow my journey and they know me and, and we get to talk together, et cetera, I know that, you know, once I figure out something that's actually going to work, they're going to, you know, be there with me and support me, et cetera. So, yeah especially actually if you don't have a successful product yet, if you're still working at a company, this is almost even more important. Yeah, it's interesting because, and I know, you know, we're two people who have, who are starting our own projects, um, speaking together. So we can both say, you get very emotionally involved in whatever you build. And yeah. like when you show it to people and if they don't reply to your email when you've showed it to them or yeah. if it, the thought of it failing and the impact on, you know, your personal reputation, because it was all your thing. And um, there's no, uh, you know, it's the CEO's fault or whatever. Um, you are that person. So, you know, I want you to make me braver. <laughs> because well, I remember when I started working on something myself, I read exactly the same advice that you just gave, which is, if you don't have a product to build, um, then build yourself, you are you are a brand and you are a product and you are a yeah treat yourself like something that can grow. And is exactly what you say. There are people that I follow who have tried all sorts of things and some of them have failed and some of them have worked, but they're still on this journey and they're still... And I think there's a real openness about the kind of, I suppose, indie entrepreneur movement, which means that you can really get a sense of people's highs and lows and it makes it... It draws you right in. But uh, I definitely think that when, whenever I've been full-time, there's been less of a reason, kind of less of an impetus to want to put myself out beyond the company because you're getting paid a salary regardless. Like your um, your livelihood doesn't isn't at that point in time impacted by the work that you're doing on the side. It's a side project. If it fails, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't have a financial impact on you or, yeah. or, or on your career or on your ego in quite the same way. But... I agree with you. Like, there is no reason why I wouldn't read the newsletter of someone who is working on projects as part of a team and also seeing interesting things on the internet and writing about them. Like, a lot of the stuff that you write about is neuroscience based and about mental models and things like that. And that doesn't have to be a an entrepreneur writing about that. It could be anyone. Yeah, and uh, it's it's very interesting what you're saying about you know the stability that having a full time job gives you. I almost see it as an enabler where why not? This is also, you know, something I kind of regret 
when I was at Google, I had, you know, I didn't have to worry about the money on my bank account. I had very decent hours. I had a great team. I was living in San Francisco, you know, great work-life balance and everything. And I did a lot of stuff on the side, but not as much as today, which is weird because I have way more responsibilities right now. I have way more sources of, of stress and anxiety, et cetera. And I, I still do more than what I did at the time. So I would actually, you know, urge people who are currently, you know, still or, or planning on staying in the situation where they're working at a big company with a very stable job to use that opportunity to work on site projects. And that can be writing, that can be building products, that can be whatever, learning how to paint or something. Not everything you do on the side has to have a potential, you know, business upside to it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's the kind of stuff that you realize we're incredibly lucky in terms of, of situation, life situation, only once you don't have them anymore. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and lots of people give the advice that definitely if you, if you feel like there's a, there's a jump in your future, maybe a year out, when next, next year I'm going to start a project that is going to hopefully lead me to being independent. Start that process now so that you can, you know, write that newsletter today and then in a year's time you're going to have, I don't know, 500 people that are already fans and especially if they're your audience then, or your target market, then, then that really, I suppose, gives you a head start. Um, I love this because this is the process I'm using I, when it happens very often. I always have this, like, which I think is very common here of uh, it being too late, basically. Like I always think of it. I'm like, oh, my God, you know, I'm, I'm 29. Like, isn't it too late? Like all of these teen entrepreneurs, <laughs> et cetera. <laughs> and um, and the, the idea of like projecting myself in, in a year or two is what I'm using all the time because to, to get started now, basically. Because I think, well, you know, in one year, do I want to be that same person thinking that it's too late? Or do I want to be who I am today plus knowing how to code, for example? Right, yeah. right. It's, yeah, it's crazy. 18 months it's been since, well, yeah, about 18 months since I quit my job. And I remember quitting and thinking this endless stretch of time ahead of me. Like months yeah. and months and years and all this time. It felt so far away and it's been the blink of an eye. and. You know, all the things that I could have started 18 months ago and things would look very different now. But, you know, joy of hindsight, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> this episode is kindly sponsored by the Deliveroo Experience team. I can say, as someone who spent two and a half years working there, that Deliveroo is an amazing place to come and be a designer, a researcher or a UX writer. You'll get to break out of not just the screen, working on real-life problems around getting food from kitchen to table, but out of London, going out to solve problems for customers, riders and restaurants in 14 countries around the world. There's a bunch of open roles as we speak, with everything from senior managers to product designers, UX writers and researcher roles up for grabs. They're looking for applicants from diverse backgrounds, and if you're not sure if you qualify, you should definitely apply anyway. The job descriptions are not a checklist. All you need to do is head to delivery.design to check out what the team are up to and what your next job could look like. That link is also in the show notes. Thanks. So I wanted to ask you a little bit about, I suppose, the mental side of handling all of the things that are happening. And, you know, as you said, you've got a lot of things going on. There's a lot of different plates that you're spinning. Um... But I think this probably applies to anyone. Everyone can feel kind of mentally overloaded 
um, anxiety. Like there's there's always something I'm forgetting. My inbox is never done. And... I'm the same guilty here. <laughs> <laughs> so are there any things that you've seen or, or written about um, or used to help people kind of feel a little bit less overwhelmed by yeah. that fire hose? Yes. Um, I think there are two main things for me. The The first one I think is is pretty, you know, basic and that's what you read everywhere, but it's really about knowing what's important to you and what's not. And uh, for example, I have personally come to terms with the fact that I am bad at managing my inbox. It's right. just something I'm not good at. And I'm good at many other things, but this is just one of them, not one of them. So I think that's fine. And this is like, to me, so important. Mm. Like, and if people really want to talk to me, they know that they need to chase sometimes. And this is fine. And that's what you did for the podcast, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, an email and then WhatsApp and that worked. <laughs> so, so Multi-channel. Yeah, exa- exactly. <laughs> but, but I think it's fine. Like, it's not like anyone's going to die because I missed an email or, or anything. So that's the, the, the one thing where I'm not trying to be perfect at everything. I'm trying to be good at the things that matter and the things where I can have an impact. And um, I remember reading in, in your newsletter about it, like the conversation you had with your co-founder, for example. And, you know, especially as you said, as a product person, it's hard sometimes to let go of things where, you know, you really enjoy them. And this is what you're actually naturally very good at. But you know, it's not where you can have the biggest impact for for your business. So this is really about knowing where to put your efforts. So what you do has, you know, the biggest impact. Mm. Uh, And then uh, besides like just prioritizing things, another thing that I'm really trying to do is to make sure that everything I'm doing has uh, some sort of, you know, positive uh, circle going on where every project I work on uh, helps me grow the other projects. So, for example, I have the magazine where I interview lots of makers and entrepreneurs. And I'm also scouting, as you do, mm. for, for Bact, and this is how we know each other. And my, the magazine helps me source entrepreneurs that I can then refer to, to Bact, mm. if there's a potential match. And, you know, stuff that I, I learned from Bact, like I can, can use in my writings, my studies, I also use on my blog. And yeah. if I meet you know, interesting people through whatever events. I try to interview them on the podcast. So it, I try to never have anything that's in complete isolation of the, the rest. And actually, very often, if I notice I'm doing something that doesn't have, you know, this positive like circle thing going on, maybe it's something I should not be working on because it doesn't really bring me closer to my bigger goals. Yeah, that kind of compound effect. You want everything to... Yeah, yeah so before we were talking about... um how to handle those distractions, those daily distractions of uh, meetings that, you know, happen, people that want to chat. um, And you have something on your website. I don't know if you want to talk about this. Yeah, no, that's (laughs) that's fine. I'm I'm very public about that too. I I generally can't remember where I saw this, but I didn't come up with it. I saw it somewhere. But I have a page on my website, which is called Hotline where people can pay, there's a Stripe button there to book an hour with me and talk with me. And um, this has been really helpful in terms of filtering people that want to just pick my brains. Mm. I get lots of emails like this. And while lots of them are genuine and, you know, and I'm super happy to help, 
there are others that actually want to just get my time for free for stuff that I usually charge for because mm-hmm. I also consult with lots of companies, etc. And, you know, I consider that I have spent years uh, getting the expertise that I have right now in some areas. And this is why I'm being paid by some people in some companies. And to me, if you're not a student or someone in a situation that doesn't have the money to get the advice that would be necessary to advance your career or work on your product, and if you're someone who's serious about their business and you really need to talk to me and get mm. my advice, then you should be okay paying, you know, a small fee to get an hour with me. And some people, you know, say, oh, no, I didn't realize I would have to pay to talk to you. And I'm like, oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. And, uh, but lots of people say yes, actually. And uh, it makes the conversation much more productive, too, because then it becomes more of a business relationship. Absolutely. And they're thinking, right, what do I want to ask to really get value out of this rather than let's just noodle around and not really talk yeah, about much. Exactly. Like, hence the can I pick your brains question, which I always get a little bit annoyed with. Because I'm like, what do you actually want to talk about? What do you want from me? How can I help you, basically? And I think, and I, I try to be very mindful of this when I ask for help to other people too, but I think it should be the work of the person requesting time. Mm-hmm. That's their job to, you know, figure out an outline and some, some you know, outcomes for the meeting. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, talk about in an email how to write an email to the CEO of the company that, you know, you you would never dream of getting a reply to your email. The way to ask the question is to ask for the smallest possible favor. I can't remember where I was, I was listening to, uh, it was probably on a podcast, but if you ask a question like, um, what was, the, how much, what CRM tool did you use in your first year of starting this company? Or like something very specific that they don't even have to think about the answer to, they just boom, one word answer, that kind of opens the door to then yes. more and more conversations and maybe bigger favors and, and then a relationship that grows. And you were saying that these people that will pay $99 or whatever it is, will then actually potentially, you, that will start a conversation or a relationship or maybe a bigger piece of work or... Definitely. I have some of my current clients that I met through that page, basically. Mm-hmm. And it's it's great too because... I don't expect, you know, everyone to just take at face value, like how, you know, well I would be able to help them. So it's also a way for them to kind of dip their toes and like have an hour and we chat. And if we feel like that's a good fit, then we can work on a on a bigger project. And it's interesting what you're saying about reaching out to people to get help because I was for my own podcast interviewing. Do you know Lintai from Key Values? I do, yeah. Yeah. So I was interviewing her and um, she mentioned that because she's a solo founder too. So there's just, you know, lots of stuff she knows how to do and stuff yeah. that is new to her. And uh, she reaches out she reaches out to people and being like, hey, can I pay you for an hour? And yeah. you can just, you know, teach me. And not necessarily people who are consultants or do that as, you know, their, you know, their business. Just people that seem knowledgeable about the yeah. topic. And, you know, it's very interesting. I think lots of people will also say, you know, it's fine. You don't need to pay me. I'd be happy to to chat. And if not, you just, you know, it's an investment, right, in mm. your in your business and in your personal knowledge. You think there's a product in this? Maybe, actually. Honestly, I would be very surprised that doesn't exist. There's probably like some sort yeah. of... There's like buy me a coffee, but that's like $5 or something. Yeah. Yeah, that's... Uh, that, that would be very cheap. I, <laughs> I do I do use it, though, because there are lots of indie makers that don't charge for their products. And I, I find it a really good way 
to just say thank you for someone who's built something helpful. Yeah, interesting. Yes. Um, so I want to go back to this question around why, why and how you left Google and like what oh, yeah. the story was around that. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. You're, uh, it's kind of relevant to your product, I guess, <laughs> because um, I left Google when my path to progression was so clear. And it wasn't that it wasn't progression anymore, basically. Um, after a few years at Google, I knew enough about how the company works to be able to perfectly envision exactly where I would be in five years. Right. And that weirdly felt pretty depressing. <laughs> I felt like I was way too young to know exactly where I would end up in five years. And as much as I really loved working at Google, I'm still really good friends with lots of people who work there. And, you know, again, amazing work-life balance, good pay, good team, interesting projects, et cetera. Um, I needed to wake up in the morning not knowing exactly where I would end up in the evening, at the end of the week, or in five years from now. So you left without a plan or you... That's why I left to start a startup. Okay. I did everything a typical startup would do at the time, uh, you know, like raising money, doing all that jazz. And yeah. uh, it was a chatbot, 2017, because that's what everyone was doing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and um, yeah, it was going okay-ish, but definitely not the trajectory that you would want to have yeah. in, a, in a startup. And we broke up with my co-founder too. So that didn't work out. That was an epic fail. Um, but Learned a lot. I learned, that's what everyone says, right? <laughs> say, that didn't work out, but I learned a lot. Yeah, I, I did learn a lot. I did learn a lot. And uh, I learned a lot about, you know, startups and business and, and tech and lots of things. But also importantly, I learned a lot about myself mm. and about what I actually wanted in life versus what was expected from someone leaving Google and doing a startup. Yes. So um, uh, last year uh, after, you know, I... Finally, you know, you talked about how the emotional involvement of creating a company, et cetera. Like when I finally came to terms with the fact that that was not going to, to work out, I actually took a bit of time for myself to think mm. about what I actually wanted to do. And this is when I started studying neuroscience because I've always been fascinated with how the brain works. And this is also when I started getting more involved in the, in the community, mm. which really resonated with me. So neuroscience. Yes. <laughs> Part-time evening yeah. thing part-time uh part online with some lectures on campus basically okay. which i if it wasn't that format i would not be able to do it right yeah so i mean i i know very little about neuroscience i think you know from the outside it seems very interesting the brain is so unknown all this kind of stuff and and you know what drives us to do things but i'm going to put you on the spot here yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. and have some thinking time yeah. but i want to know you know, what are some of the really big takeaways that you have got from learning more about how the brain works and how humans work? I would say that, you know, I don't necessarily like want to get into the science of it because it can get a bit hairy. <laughs> but uh, what's really interesting, I think, is that we are not as much as we think. Like everyone thinks that they're kind of like a master of their life and how you know the decisions they make etc and it's actually insane the number of things that are completely automatic mm. and 
at first, when I, st- I started studying neuroscience, I found that pretty depressing. Like, that's crazy. Am I just a machine? We're so predictable. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah, you would be able, you know, basically, it would just be a matter of really understanding how the brain works to be able to predict exactly how, you know, I'm going to, to act or react, which when you, you know, when you're a human being, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, a, it's a bit depressing. Um, but actually, um, the more you study, the more you realize that it's it's not really the case. Like the reason why we have so many of our behaviors that are automated is because we're, we're not aware mm. of how our, our biology affects us. But once you start learning about it, there is, um, you know, a higher like willpower that we all have. And we can actually design our decisions in mm. ways that work for us. So I had this, uh, you know, kind of evolution through my neuroscience studies of being like, oh, wow, that's depressing. <laughs> to, okay, no, that's actually pretty empowering. And it means that the more you learn about how your brain works and the more you apply this to your daily life, the more you can be in control in the end. Mm. I saw that you've been reading um, Atomic Habits. Yeah. And that's, I'm, I'm sort of two-thirds of the way through. Uh, and I find that a really fascinating topic. And I suppose for people that are listening to this and haven't read it, book by James Clear, and he talks about the difference between goals and habits. And everyone likes to set goals. Everyone, you know, it's really easy to, oh, here's what I want to be in a year's time, or here's the next project that I want to complete. But setting goals is kind of the wrong way of thinking about it. Um, and the analogy that stuck with me was, uh, if there's six races in a sprint, they all have the goal to win the race. Um, but only one of them actually wins it. And it just kind of proves how few people meet their goals because it's out of your control. Yeah. And there's lots of things about it that um, that are imperfect and demoralizing if you don't meet your goal and all this kind of stuff. So his whole thing is uh, about habits and building those habits and attaching them to small small parts of your life and, and growing them over time. It's one of those things, you know, I, I'm taking in the book and thinking, there's all sorts of things that I want to get out of this, that, but I'm I'm listening to it and I'm doing other stuff at the same time and forgetting to write it down. Um, but it sounds like you're developing habits. I actually really enjoyed that book. Uh, is is really good, and um, I do. And I think what is, and this is why the book reso- resonated so much with me, is that it's more about the process than the the goals. The thing with goals is that it's kind of black and white, either. Mm you know, you succeed or you fail, which, uh, you know, that's what happens with lots of people. You set a goal very often, too ambitious, yeah. doesn't work out. Yeah. And uh, then you quit, basically, because, you know, you think that that didn't work out because you were not good enough or you're not able of it or whatever. Whereas if you use this process of building this atomic habits mm. or if, you know, you just have a process in place. It's really about just showing up and that's it. And there's no right or wrong. It's really just about showing up. And this is why I published another article about this like framework that I kind of built for myself where it's basically like four parts for anything I want to learn or build or whatever. And none of it has goals uh, in it. And the first one is to make a pact with myself that I'm going to do one thing every day. So for coding, that would be do something coding related every mm. day. And that something could be as small or big or whatever, depending on the time I have. So reading a tutorial 
technically works. Like, that's right. fine. <laughs> yeah. uh, actually coding, even better. But yeah. whatever, just showing up every day. Um, then uh, after, you know, the pack that I have, like reacting onto what I just learned. So that could be writing a blog post or, you know, posting about it on Twitter or, you know, just anything where you actually start creating content of your own around what you've learned. Uh, then, uh, so no, that's like acting. And then reacting is like trying to build something really like a little bit bigger around it. Uh, and then the last one is then putting it all together by having like a bigger project. So if, you know, you've been learning how to code, that could be uh, build your very first application. Right. If you've been uh, trying to write better, that could be submitting some of your essays to a magazine or something mm. like that. But there's no goal, basically. Like, there's no, like, I'm going to become a writer or I'm going to become a coder. No, it's just code every day, write every day or whatever you want to do. Exactly. And if you think, yeah, that, that analogy is perfect. I want to be, I want to have a blog with 10,000 people um, getting my newsletter is like you you set that as a goal you're like oh my god yeah. that is terrifying and how do I even start whereas if all you say is I'm going to write a newsletter once a week and a blog post every other day um, but I, I suppose his his knack on top of that is don't just say I'm going to write a newsletter every week say on a Thursday after breakfast um, I'm going to sit at my kitchen table and I'm going to write a newsletter yeah. and attaching it to a specific part of your day after a certain action. So you know exactly when you've done it or when you've not done it. You can't make an excuse yeah. around, oh, I'll do it later. And then suddenly it slips off the day. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that you are. I was listening to that and thinking, Anne Law is writing every single day, uh, which to me feels completely overwhelming and like I would never be able to do it. But clearly, every weekday, though, because as like everyone, I like to rest too. So, Absolutely. and, uh, and you know, some people manage to write every day and I really admire them. But in my case, I also, you know, like having a weekend. It's yeah. very, you know, and you've probably, you know, experienced that too. When you run your own company and you don't have, you know, a boss anymore, basically, it's very easy to overwork yourself too. This is also why when it comes to remote companies, for example, lots of companies who haven't tried it yet are afraid that employees, if they make the company remote, are going to work less. Yeah. When in fact, when you look at all of the research out there and when you look at companies sharing how things actually go, people just don't take enough holidays, don't take enough breaks and, no, really. and work a lot. Yeah. And it's actually the job of the managers to make sure when they have remote employees Stop. to tell yeah. them, hey, like, you're good. Yeah. Like, you know. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah. So... As a, an entrepreneur, that's also the risk is to more like overwork yourself. So as much as I'm trying to be productive and to create content very regularly, mm -hmm. I'm also forcing myself the same way I, I, you know, I have the habit and I need to schedule it, etc. of writing, of creating content, etc. I also schedule the habit of taking time for myself and relax. Very nice. Yeah. No, I... I... I'm not sure if my wife would agree with me, but I, I do try and do the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but sometimes the laptop does creep open on the weekend. <laughs> totally. Yeah. No, and also guilty of that. <laughs> um, listen, um, it's been great to chat. Uh, and where, should, where can we find you? Uh, thanks for having me. And uh, you can find me on Twitter 
I don't even have to know how to pronounce my own handle because I created it <laughs> when I was 12. Um, but just type and or look out, you'll find me. And uh, nestlabs.com is my blog. Nestlabs.com. And definitely sign up to the newsletter. It is a, a weekly dose of goodness thank in your you. inbox. Um, thank you very much. Thanks. Thanks for listening to that episode. Uh, if you want to go and check out Progression, you can at progressionapp.com. We're launching in Q1, but you can get your hat in the ring a bit earlier if you want to just send me an email or a tweet or whatever you need to do Uh, if you want to rate this podcast please do it really does help apparently and make sure you're subscribed to hear lots and lots of great episodes coming up thanks bye